the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a fabulous Saturday, and uh, I am so thankful for all of you, of course, as always, because of your uh, support, uh, your partnership with us. We are always able to do things and uh, to uh, basically uh, spread the good news to our Muslim friends and even uh, do it globally and reach in others as well. Um, of course, if you're tuning in, this is, again, Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al-Fadi, and... Uh, I know it's been a while since we did some updates from Facebook, and uh, today I want to just take that opportunity to be able to do so. Uh, obviously, uh, one of our ministry presence is uh, through social media, and Facebook is really one of those platforms that the Lord has been given us to capitalize on, uh, uh, on that in terms of spreading the good news. Now, uh, we use YouTube, of course, and if you have yet... Uh, to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We encourage you to do so. Our YouTube channel is called Sierra International. That's C as in Charlie, I as in Illustrate, R as in Romeo, A as in Apple, Sierra International. You just go to YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com, I should say, and search for Sierra International, or you just go to www.youtube.com forward slash Sierra International, one word, and you'll get there. Either way, we would love for you to subscribe, and we even encourage you to consider, of course, uh, giving uh, th uh, through Patreon, very small amounts. Sometimes people give just $1.00. Uh, they can even commit to $1 monthly, $5 monthly, $10 monthly. It depends on what the Lord puts in your heart. This is a way for us to try to uh, continue uh, to fund our media projects, specifically the video projects. Now, our Facebook page, if you're interested in that, I have my own personal profile page. It's called alfadi.sira, C-I-R-A, alfadi. A as in Apple, L as in Luma, F as in Frank, A as in Apple, D as in David, I dot Sierra, C-I-R-A, C as in Charlie. I also have two ministry pages. One is called The Al-Fadi, The, the definite article, uh, T-H-E, Al-Fadi, one word. And the other one is called Sierra International. Uh, through those, uh, basically, we uh, publish any of the videos that we release on YouTube. And through my personal profile, one, the alfadi.sira, I engage with Muslims through provocative yet um, intentional and respectful, of course, uh, post. I mean, we like to ask the tough questions. And I, myself, as a former Muslim, of course, 
I like to think like our Muslim friends, and that's why the way I approach it may not be really suitable for someone who comes from a different background, from a Western background, if you wish, or a Christian background, simply because, you know, you don't want to offend a Muslim. But in my case, I know how they think. I know to ask the right questions from our, uh, you know, from Islamic sources that I have access to, given that I grew up a Muslim. I read the Arabic. I have access to these Islamic sources. And my way of doing this is to educate also the Western workers among the Muslims, whether you are a friend with them, uh, maybe you're a colleague at work, maybe you're a classmate, maybe you are involved in a ministry that reaches refugees and Muslim refugees and Muslim students, you know, whatever the case might be, or maybe just a church goer who is interested really in encouraging your congregation uh, to reach out to the Islamic community in their neighborhood. Whatever the case might be, my intent in my ministry is to always teach, educate, and sometimes apologetically speaking, is to allow people to learn, uh, I should say, equip people and empower people to learn how to ask the right questions that will prompt a Muslim to think. That's what we want. And obviously open a dialogue and share the truth with them from the Word of God. So for instance, one of those posts uh, that I have uh, this one dates back to February 11th, uh, is a, uh, a question related really to uh, polygamy. And I know you may think like, what does this have anything to do with Islam or at least reaching Muslims? Well, that's true. Obviously, some of these questions are not the questions you can ask the first day you meet a Muslim, but those are the kind of things you want to keep in the back of your mind or in a toolbox to be able to use. Like, for instance, our Muslim friends as I used to think myself also, are convinced that the prophet of Islam, Muhammad, is sent by the God of the Bible, Yahweh, okay? And if that's the case, then we have to look for certain things related to his message, the message of Muhammad, I should say, his teachings, his mandates, and correlate that to, for instance, what the prophets of the Bible have taught. What did Jesus teach, for instance? And because Muslims consider Jesus only a prophet. So we're going to meet our Muslim friends at the level of their thinking. Okay, you think Jesus is a prophet? That's fine. Let's see how he addressed some of these topics. When it comes to polygamy, uh, I mean, I don't know if uh, if you knew this or not, but uh, the Quran, for instance, does permit our Muslim friends to marry up to four, marry up to four, basically, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, women, I should say. At least that's the interpretation. Some schools actually might tell you uh, this is given just as an example. You can marry more. Some even in Africa marry up to 13 wives simply because the prophet of Islam had 13 wives. Or some will say he has 11. They'll marry 11. And some will say he really, we don't know the exact number of how many people did he actually marry. So let's go to chapter 4 of the Quran. Chapter 4 of the Quran, verses 1 to 3 verses 1 to 3, and I'm just going to read to you what it says. It, it reads and it say at the beginning, All mankind, reverence your guardian Lord who created you from a single person, created of like nature, his mate, and from them 
twain scattered like seeds, countless men and women. So in other words, you know, your God has created male and female and out of them came the seeds, you know, the multiplication, uh, that fruitfulness it uses like the term about seed, basically it's kind of interesting. Uh, and uh, it says then in verse two, I'm, I'm going to stop right here. In verse two, it jumps into talking about orphans and it says to orphans restore their property when they reach their age, meaning the age of accountability. So if you are a guardian, basically, just like God is a guardian over you, that's the context here in verse one, verse two says, just like you are a guardian over orphans, you know, when they reach the age of accountability, now you need to return their property, their inheritance to them. If you were taking care of their home, give it back to them. You're taking care of, uh, you know, other properties, give it back to them, okay? Nor substitute your worthless things for their good ones. In other words, if they have a house, don't go ahead and give them another house uh, that, uh, you know, that is less in value because you like the house they have. No, give them exactly uh, the house that they have. Give them exactly the property that you have. Then it jumps into verse three, which is very strange. It ties orphanage to marriage. And it says, if you fear that you shall not be able to deal justly with orphans, marry woman of your choice, meaning choose from among the orphan woman two or three or four. That's where the doctrine of polygamy comes from in Islam. Obviously, the prophet of Islam not only modeled it, but he exceeded it. He married more than four and even uh, the Quran uh, in chapter 53 of the Quran, it talks about exceptions, uh, I should say, in, in chapters, you know, like uh, uh, 53 or uh, in chapters like, uh, uh, you know, uh, 65 in chapters like uh, uh, 33 and the likes uh, and 35 and other uh, places in the Quran. It does talk about marriages and it does address the marriages of Muhammad. And in there, you'll see that Muhammad received some exceptions that he's allowed to have more. And in fact, women are even permitted to uh, offer themselves to Muhammad, kind of like propose, would you marry me, Muhammad? You know, things like that. But, you know, a Muslim will tell you, well, he's the prophet. He has those exception clauses, but it doesn't apply to us. But they'll point always to chapter four of the Quran, known as chapter of women, verse three, that talks about marrying two or three or four. In other words, you know, you marry one, but then you can add two, three or four. Some, by the way, in the Arabic, by the way, methna, two or twice, uh, uh, and thulath, thrice, uh, and roba'ah, uh, uh, you know, the, the Arabic. It talks about it in a way as if it's just telling you, uh, you can have five, you can have six, you can have seven. They look at it as if it's increasing, basically. And the verse here is just giving you an example that you can keep going. You don't stop at four. That's why there is different opinions out there. However, the majority, I would say, uh, consensus is that you marry up to four. Now, granted, uh, in the same chapter uh, it, and, and in other places, it talks about fairness and that you have to really treat both women equally. If you can, if not staying, you know, married to one is better. All that to say, Islam, according to its own source that is considered to be a divine source, the Quran, that supposedly the God of Islam is the one who revealed it to his prophet Muhammad, ordains the idea of marrying, or polygamy, I should say, marrying more than one wife. 
Now, Muslims will jump and say, well, wait a minute, you know, Abraham has more than one wife. No, that's not true. Abraham married Sarai. When she died, he married Keturah. Okay. Now they'll say, well, Solomon has many wives. That's true. But the Bible clearly stated that a king should not really marry more than uh, many wives. You'll find this, of course, in the Old Testament. Uh, nor that God ever told Solomon to go and marry uh, many wives. David did the same thing. He violated God's command. God never told him to go and marry many wives. I mean, anywhere, anywhere in the Bible, if you point to something, I can tell you this, God never, ever uh, ordained, I mean, basically um, uh, commanded it or ordained it himself. God sometimes dealt with the custom of the day. For instance, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 10, it talks about if someone, you know, in the Jewish community was so poor and they are in debt, they can sell their daughter to their master, basically. And the master can take her as a wife or give her to his son. But he, the son also is allowed to have another wife who is not a slave woman. Now, God was dealing with the custom of the days. God wasn't saying, I want you to do it. God is saying, if this scenario happens, here is how you treat this slave uh, concubine or slave woman uh, that you're taking as a wife. So uh, nowhere does the, the Bible ever show a verse that God commanded, commanded people to marry more than one wife. Well, I mean, uh, it's, it's very simple. For instance, I'm going to take you right now to what the Bible teach uh, in uh, Genesis, for instance. If we go to Genesis uh, chapter 1, for instance, that's the creation account. And uh, I will read for you right now from Genesis 1 uh, uh, a passage that is ex extremely interesting. If you go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that's the image of God, basically. And it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, notice, male and female, he created them. Okay, we'll stop right here, and it's very clear that marriage here is for a male and female. That's the marriage constitution. Now, if we go to Genesis 2, we'll begin to see the picture becoming clearer and clearer. Now, if you're tuning in, this is Let Us Read It, and I'm your host, Al Fadi, and we're talking about how can we ask our Muslim friends tough questions to prove to them, for instance, that their prophet and their book and their God are not basically uh, based on the truth of the scripture, that their God is not the God of the Bible, their prophet is not sent by the God of the Bible, and their scripture called the Quran does not basically um, uh, you know, continue along the same teachings that are found in the Bible. In this case, we're talking about polygamy. In, chapter, in Genesis chapter 2, the last verse, uh, last two verses, says something interesting. It says in verse 24, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, that is very interesting. That came immediately after the creation of Eve, basically. And then in verse 23, uh, Adam conducted the poem saying, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of 
man. So that's basically, uh, you know, what happens here. The Bible says that the marriage is between one husband and one wife. Nowhere do we find in the account of creation that God made more wives for Adam. He could have done that. He could have right here stated that a man can take more than one wife. No, the two of them, the husband and the wife, become one flesh. In fact, you can argue the Trinity from here as well, because the word used to describe this one flesh is called Ahad. That's what God used about himself in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4 when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And that's where we can argue that there we believe in one triune God, one in nature, in essence, three in person, still one God. And here's an example you have in marriage, a husband and a wife, but in the eyes of God, both two persons become one, technically speaking, in essence, in nature. Okay, so God said this. And how do we know that it's God who said this? Very interesting, because Jesus confirmed the exact same doctrine if we were to go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19 concerning divorce, it says in verse 3, some Pharisees, again, Matthew 19, verse 3. Once again, I'd like to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, on this podcast. This is let us reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and we're talking about polygamy in Islam and how the account of uh, how the doctrine of polygamy and the teaching of polygamy in the Quran refutes the idea that Muslims think that the God of the Bible is the God of uh, the Quran and that the messenger of Islam is sent by the God of the Bible because the Bible contradicts the teaching of polygamy, technically speaking. While God allowed things like this to take place in the Bible, never that he condoned it commanded it or ordered it. That's extremely crucial. So back again to the teaching of Jesus concerning polygamy. Jesus talks about the idea of divorce and marriage when the Pharisees ask him a question in Matthew, in Matthew's gospel in chapter uh, 19, verse three, it says some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So uh, basically, Jesus was making a case that marriage always is between one wife and one husband, and that in the, guy, in the eyes of God, no divorce, nothing uh, should basically separate what God joined together. That's extremely important. In verse 6, they responded, and so they no longer two, Jesus is saying, but one flesh, meaning the two of them are joined together. How can you think of divorce and separated them when God himself said that the two, husband and wife, become like one body, one flesh. That's Jesus' argument in verse 6. And therefore, he adds and say, what therefore God has joined together, notice the God of the Bible, Yahweh, has joined together, let no man separate. Now, here's my argument. How can the God of the Quran say it is okay to separate the man from his wife by adding other women in his life. How does that work? 
Nowhere does the Quran say, oh, you can have all of them living with you in the same place. In fact, find me a single, you know, example like this where the life was peaceful. Rarely that you have someone who has two or three wives living in the same household and rarely that there is peace among them. Okay, so the general rule of thumb, they always live separately in different areas, different rooms, different quarters, or at least different homes or different cities sometimes or different countries uh, sometimes. Nevertheless, this is an argument against what the God of the Bible says, that two become one flesh. And Jesus says, if they are joined together by God, how can you separate them? Because if you have more than one wife, then you're separating from one of these wives and you're joining to another. And then you're joining to another. And then you're joined. That's not the Bible design. This is not what God has ordained. And that's why it's extremely crucial for us to ask these tough questions. So in this post that I have on my profile page on Facebook, my profile page is called alfadi.sira, A-L-F-A-D-I dot C-I-R-A. In there, that post that was in February 11th uh, of 2020, it says, why Muhammad is a false prophet God ordained marriage between one man and one woman. Muhammad ordained marriage between one man and many women. Okay? Now, some will say, well, it wasn't Muhammad. It was the God of Islam. Well, it doesn't matter to me. It was Muhammad who shared his message. That's pretty much what it is. Muhammad claiming to be a prophet along the same line of the Old Testament prophets and even claiming that he's a prophet that came after Jesus. Well, Jesus contradicted what Muhammad is teaching. And all the prophets of old also contradicted what Muhammad is teaching, starting from Genesis, going all the way to the end of the Bible. You won't find a single command by God in the Bible asking a man to marry a second wife. If you find it, show it to me, please. That's how we ought to argue polygamy in the Bible as compared to polygamy found in the Quran. One is commanded by the God of Islam. The other in the Bible is allowed by God because of the customs. God never told David to marry more than one wife. God never told Solomon to do this. God never told any uh, of you know the people who committed polygamy, an act of polygamy in the Bible, told them it's okay to go ahead and do this. No, God dealt with the consequence of what they have done. And sometimes it is the consequence basically of the custom that they were living in. You know, We know Jacob did that as well. So nevertheless, the bottom line, you won't find a single command from God himself. Yet in the, in the Quran, God himself is the one who's commanding uh, uh, his followers to do so. And of course, there is so much uh, to be talked about when it comes to marriage in Islam that we will, of course, devote more passage, uh, more posts to, to deal with that issue, whether it is the multiple marriages or the child marriage or even uh, you know, the idea of uh, having concubines on in addition to uh, the marriage, uh, the married uh, uh, wives and so on and so forth. So there is so, many, so much in the Quran that we can use uh, to expose the falsehood of the teaching that are found there simply because that's not what the God of the Bible taught in the first place. Now, uh, if you're joining us, this is Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al-Fadi, and you can always, of course, listen to this podcast and any of our previous archive podcasts, whether you can go to KPXQ 1360 and search for Al-Fadi or Let Us Reason, and it will take you to uh, many of our shows. You can also go to our website, sirainternational.com, 
C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A international.com. You'll find a section in there called Let Us Reason. You click on it and you'll come across all of our previous five plus years of archived shows with titles and dates on them and they're numbered. And technically speaking, you can benefit from that for your own, uh, you know, maybe ministry among Muslims or education about what do Muslims teach and so on and so forth. And of course, we want to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, also called Sira International. And we encourage you really to become a Patreon patron, meaning you can give through this platform called Patreon. And you can give as little as $1 a month or as much as the Lord put in your heart. We have a lot of supporters with these little amounts because we need every nickel and dime that we can generate to keep us on the air and to produce more and more videos. And we're so thankful for your partnership and your generosity. My, my time is approaching an end, so I want to thank you again. This is Al-Fadi. Hopefully you've enjoyed this show. And until next week, uh, may the Lord bless you richly.